Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. again, everyone, or maybe not again, maybe for probably the first time. This is your host of the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast, Rick Dosty, and I want to welcome everybody to the show. Uh, you probably, most of you are joining me for the first time. I did a uh, very short, uh, what I called a beta podcast uh, about two weeks ago, and this is the really the first full attempt at my sci-fi podcast that's going to discuss uh, things in the world of sci-fi entertainment. I've been involved and interested in sci-fi, TV, film, books, pretty much everything science fiction and and some fantasy for quite a long time, pretty much uh, my entire life, I guess. The the areas I want to cover on this show are going to be Primarily television science fiction. Star Trek uh, would be a large area of that. The idea that I have for try to do with this each show is to look at a individual Star Trek episode in depth and sort of review it, give you some maybe some things you've never heard of about the show, and give you a few audio clips and just kind of discuss it and look at it maybe in a little different light. The uh, The idea for this show, or not uh, not another idea, but the same along those lines, I'm going to be talking about the, the first uh, episode I'm going to look at is The City on the Edge of Forever. This episode was from the first season of Star Trek, the original series, and that's what I'll be discussing in depth for this show. But a few other little things I want to get out of the way first. One is I'm going to talk a little bit at the beginning of each show about kind of the highlights uh, of the week in science fiction news, what's going on, what I've seen and heard about. A lot of these things are from the Internet. A lot of these things you can find in other places. But uh, just to kind of bring you up to speed in case maybe this is the only news you're listening to, uh, that would be impressive. But uh, anyway... uh, couple things this week I saw. One, to begin with, would be uh, the new uh, Harry Potter trailer is out from the movie that's coming out in November. This would be from the fourth book, uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. The uh, new trailer looks looks very good. There's uh, a lot more in this trailer. They show quite a bit 
of the effects. Uh, it looks it looks really good. Uh, just to give you a little background, I, I've read all the Harry Potter stories. Now, while these are not, I guess, completely considered science fiction, it's more, I guess, a fantasy uh, type setting. Uh, there are something that I really enjoy, and I just wanted to mention that briefly. The stories are very uh, fun to read. There, there is good characterization. Uh, J.K. Rowling is is doing a wonderful job with the whole book series, and I believe the movies have been very good. Actually, I believe the movies have been getting better each time, just kind of like the books have been. The books are, uh, you know, as time goes on in a series of books, if if it's a good series, they they will they will give you more each time. They will expand on the characters, expand on the the plot, the settings, what's been going on. So, and I think that's true in this case. But uh, just wanted to mention that that trailer is out and available, and uh, if you have uh, an internet connection, I suggest you go take a look at it if you're interested in the Harry Potter story. Uh, I guess I got a little bit of ahead of myself, especially since this being the first real podcast I'm doing. I want to give you a little bit more uh, background and detail on on this show. First, uh, there is um, a website associated with this show that you can go and get a little bit more information. I'm going to try to put some various links to what I talk about in each episode up on the uh, the website. That website is www.treksf, all one word, dot com. That's treksf.com for treks in sci-fi. This uh, website, I've, I've kind of played around with it for the past few years, haven't done a lot with it, but uh, I'm going to use this as my website and host for the podcast. It will uh, eventually contain a little more information than um, than what is up currently, as time permits me to update the website. My name again is Rick Dosty. You can email uh, me or the show at treksf at gmail dot com. That's the primary we- the primary email for this show and for my website. So please uh, send in any comments or suggestions or feedback or anything if uh, anyone listens to the show and, and has anything they'd like to talk about or or anything along uh, science fiction lines. I'd be happy to hear from you. It would be uh, great. I've uh, talked to other people who do sci-fi podcasts, and it's just fun to hear from other people and their perspectives and things that they like and don't like out in the world of uh, science fiction entertainment. So that's the... Uh, the gist of the, at least the bookkeeping things out of the way, my name and uh, website information, so you can get a hold of me if you have anything you'd like to talk about. The uh, the other couple of things in the science fiction news that I wanted to mention that, that uh, seems like this year on television there's a lot of new shows out. Uh, I have not seen a lot of them. Well, some haven't premiered yet. I, I mean, are meaning to uh, watch the show Threshold. It was on a couple of nights ago. Today is actually uh, uh, September 18th. It's a Sunday, and I am going to watch Threshold. That uh, that show is in on Friday nights. It uh, looks like it's sort of an alien invasion kind of storyline. There's about three shows along those lines this year. There's that, Invasion, and this one called Surface, which I think premieres on Monday. I will be watching each of those at least for the first few shows and giving you some of my take on them and feedback and and what I think they're doing good or not. 
the other science fiction on television currently, or that's been on for quite a long time, that I that I do watch, are the Stargate series and Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica by far is the the best uh, the best science fiction show on television currently, in my opinion. It has uh, a very interesting storyline. They've taken Battlestar Galactica in a, a different direction than, of course, the the late 1970s television series, which I enjoyed quite a bit. And I was not uh, completely thrilled with the new Battlestar, their new take on Battlestar Galactica when it first came out. The miniseries, I felt, was uh, it was actually, frankly, kind of slow-moving and kind of dull. Uh, they spent a lot of time just sort of hiding in clouds and and trying to get away from the initial Cylon attack and that. And the characters, I didn't feel, were really well, you know, I guess, sketched out, or not really sketched out, but just... There wasn't a lot to them. It, they seemed sort of cardboard to me a little bit in the miniseries. But uh, I tend to or try to give things another chance sometimes. And when the uh, regular television series came along, all of that basically went away. Now this show is just just great. Uh, I really enjoy what they're doing with the characters, what they're doing with the storyline. They are giving the large cast that the show has a lot to do. Everyone kind of has a little thing to do, maybe not in every episode, but they, they do get their chance, and even some of the minor characters are sort of becoming even more important as time goes on. So this uh, this is a great show. If, if you've not caught Battlestar Galactica, I, I suggest you do so. It's on Friday nights, the Sci-Fi Channel, at 10 o'clock. They are finishing now the first half of Season 2. They do these shows on the Sci-Fi Channel sort of in two two parts or two sections. I believe it's it'll be 20, I think 20 episodes total for this season. The first 10, this uh, group of Battlestar shows started in July, and they're coming up on their, they call it a season finale, but it's really kind of a half-season finale. They go from midsummer to this time, uh, late September, and then they will start up again, I believe, in January with the sort of the other half of the season. Next week's show involves a, uh, a second Battlestar that they run into from the preview on Friday night. Hopefully this is not a spoiler of any kind to anyone listening, but it was in the sort of one or two minute uh, teaser trailer that they had of, at the end of last Friday's show. This is a uh, takeoff on the original Battlestar Galactica series where they did a, uh, a, a two-parter where they also ran into, Battlestar Galactica ran into another Battlestar called the Pegasus. So they're using that idea, but I'm sure Ron Moore and the writers over on the new Galactica will will put their own spin on it. For one, the uh, commander of the Battlestar Pegasus on the original Galactica show was was a man who was played by Lloyd Bridges. Um, He was Commander Kane. They, They have Commander Kane also in the new Battlestar, but it is played by a woman this time. Actually, oh, I forget the actress's name off the top of my head. Oh, it's Michelle Forbes. That's who it is again. The That will be the new Commander Kane. She was also Ensign Rowe on a few episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. So that'll be interesting to see. And the little tidbits they gave you look, look really good. So please keep an eye out for that uh, television series. Watch that. If you're not already watching it, you... If you're a fan of sci-fi, you definitely should be watching. Okay, let's get into uh, the the main two segments this show is going to involve. The first is a uh, 
sort of my review and my um, take on this Star Trek episode, City on the Edge of Forever, from the first season of the original Star Trek series. The second part, or the second main section of the podcast today, is going to deal with the area of science fiction collectibles. And the first item that I'm going to look at and review is a new item from... Actually, it is being produced for the Star Trek experience out in the Hilton... uh, hotel in Las Vegas, and it is a uh, Star Trek original series communicator piece, so I'll be looking at that shortly. I will give you a uh, short audio clip here from the preview trailer of City on the Edge of Forever, so listen to this. Captain's log. No star date. McCoy has changed the course of time. What are you? I am the guardian of forever. Now. All right, come on. Oh, how careless of your wife to let you go out that way. What? One day soon, man is going to be able to harness incredible energies, maybe even the atom. Speculation. I find her most uncommon, Mr. Spock. Assassins! I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Edith Keeler must die. Oh, now, as many people listening to this show, uh, they probably, most of you have, have seen this Star Trek episode. If you're a Star Trek fan at all, it's it tends to be considered uh, the best Star Trek episode of all time, probably. Uh, definitely probably one of the best of the original series, if not the best. It is a... Uh, the episode itself... I'll give you, I'm going to give you two areas that I want to talk about on this show. One is just my sort of take on the episode itself, the, the what's shown on the air version. This episode was written by Harlan Ellison. And as many people know, or may not know, if you're heavy into Star Trek, Harlan Ellison is a uh, science fiction sort of fantasy. He's really hard to pin down. He'll just call you call himself a writer, typically. He is a uh, very uh, vocal, uh, uh, sort of, I don't know how to describe it. He, he's, he's quite a character. If you, if you don't know Harlan Ellison at all, he is very interesting to hear speak, if you ever have a chance to hear him speak. Uh, at a convention or elsewhere. But he wrote this episode. However, this episode, from what he wrote to what was aired, turned out quite a bit different. There is actually a book that Harlan wrote uh, describing all of the changes from his scripts, his initial you know, first, second, third drafts that he wrote till the final episode that uh, was made into this uh, classic uh, Star Trek episode. But to begin with, without going into a lot of detail on that, I will tell you what I think about the show, the good, the bad. Um, it is probably my favorite, being a, a very large Star Trek fan, probably my favorite Star Trek episode ever. This, is, and which the interesting thing about that is, this is not your typical Star Trek episode, by a long shot. The Especially um, considering it has a very 
focused. Just a couple of the characters are really involved in the show. It doesn't take a place. Excuse me. It doesn't take place on the Enterprise. It doesn't take place in space. It doesn't take place um, in the normal context that the Enterprise and Star Trek usually runs into. It takes place in the past on Earth through the through the Guardian of Forever time portal device. Again, I am assuming most people have seen this show, so I'm not going to really be holding back on what I talk about. Uh, the this being said, uh, it, it's it's kind of strange why this ends up being a favorite among uh, Star Trek fans, myself, because of the fact, frankly, it's it's so different than the normal Star Trek episode. I think that's what makes it so special. I think the the fact that it is different than the run of the mill. Hey, there's another ship out there. It's shooting at us. Let's shoot back, uh, or talk to them, or or negotiate whatever, or they're trying to take over the ship, or, you know, this is happening, we have aliens on board, we have aliens to go down on a planet to meet. All those shows, while a lot of them are are very good, and I'll talk about them in, in other episodes, or other podcasts, I should say, they, uh, they are not like this show. This show is a, is a very deep character kind of story. They... They really focus on Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, primarily. It uh, it really gets inside their heads, and it, it just does not really involve the usual Star Trek conventions. There's not phaser fights, ship battles, uh, aliens. It, it's it's a very um, different kind of show, and I think that's what really makes it special. The other in- you know, a few other little tidbits or things that, that I really enjoy about the show. It, it shows our Earth back in the Depression. Now, while, you know, the budget was extremely, extremely limited. Sorry, I had to uh, pause the recording there for a second. I was talking about the budget, the, uh, or a little bit about the, the, the time period. You know, it was set in, in the, the, during the Depression, and... You know, one thing that I, I, I've always liked about this show, even though it doesn't, you know, it gives you a pretty small, and I think there are clips in the episode that are uh, from, you know, stock footage, basically, in New York and things like that. It gives you a little bit of a feel for, for how that time was. Uh, I, I'm guessing that I didn't live through that time. I'm not that old, but uh, it's it's probably, you know, a little bit of a sort of skewed version of it, you know. But... The the interesting thing I find is is the character of Edith Keeler. While during the Depression, you know, everyone was hit with very hard times, things were very rough for people. She is sort of a beacon, uh, a beacon of light. And actually, if you notice in the episode, they actually light uh, Joan Collins from behind, and she has sort of a glow almost about her d- during most of the well, quite a few of the scenes. You know, she's almost looks sort of angelic, like an angel, and she has this uh, you know sort of voice of optimism when when things were really difficult for people, and that's that's kind of one of the things that Star Trek was all about, or is still about. It's uh, it's that it's that voice of hope when when there isn't much hope. You know, Kirk Kirk always said that during various episodes. It was said in other series, and Gene Roddenberry always maintained, you know, that there is hope for the future. There are always possibilities. And I, I find, and I think a lot of people, that, that sort of rings a chord with them and really appeals to them. And 
one of the reasons this show is so popular, I think. So that that's one area that I really enjoy on it. The other thing that's uh, really enjoyable about the City on the Edge of Forever episode is the interplay of Kirk and Spock in the past and, and the fun that they have with that, you know, Spock trying to hide his ears to the police and everyone else. These two, a starship captain, his first officer, his science officer, uh, trying to, you know, sort of make it in the 1930s era Earth is amusing. So they have that going for them, and Spock tinkering and trying to get access to his tricorder is fun. All those little things. There's this especially fun exchange between Kirk and Spock and the policeman, which I'm going to play an audio clip of that right now for you. I think I'm going to like this century. Simple, easier to manage. We're not going to have any difficulty explaining. Well? You're a police officer. I recognize the traditional accoutrements. You were saying you'll have no trouble explaining it. My friend is obviously Chinese. I see you've noticed the ears. They're actually easy to explain. Perhaps the unfortunate accident I had as a child. The unfortunate accident he had as a child. He caught his head in a mechanical rice picker. But fortunately, there was an American missionary living close by who was actually a uh, skilled uh, plastic surgeon in civilian life. All right, all right. Drop those bundles and put your hands on that wall there. Come on. Oh, how careless of your wife to let you go out that way. What? Oh, yes, it's quite untidy here. Let me help you. Yeah, I love that little scene. Uh, it, it's it, it's so good, it almost seems like it wasn't even written. Uh, it was just sort of ad-libbed. It just, uh, William Shatner is just great in this episode. Uh, I'll just talk about that for a second. I, I think, uh, you know, one of the great things... Uh, that, that Shatner can do in this show is just sh- go from, you know, Kirk, the strong leader type, to this this guy falling in love and realizing that that the woman he's in love with is can't can't survive, can't can't live. Her optimism is actually if it continues is going to get, you know, the United States, the whole world into so much trouble that it, it cannot come to be, you know, he knows this is true. Now I'm going to talk. Uh, I think that's all I really wanted to say about how much I like the show. It's it's just great. It's it, it's wonderfully acted. It's it's just a great show. But along the lines with Shatner and uh, Edith Keeler's relationship, I'm going to talk a little bit about Harlan Ellison. Now Harlan wrote a large book. Uh, I don't know if you'd call it exactly large, but he wrote a a whole book where he goes into the very great detail on how this episode is so different than what he originally wrote. This book is uh, it's about 275 pages long, and it, it, it's quite an interesting read. I've, I've not read it completely. I've read excerpts from it, trying to, to get the gist and what Harlan has to talk about. I will put a link on my website about where you can find this book. It's on Amazon.com. I believe it's out of print, but I, there are, I don't know, last time I looked, 50 used copies of it up there. But... Uh, just to give you some basics, Harlan wrote a script, and it was it was 
quite a bit different than what was finally turned into this show. The biggest differences were uh, it was not McCoy that uh, was the one that, that drug overdosed that caused the whole effect by going through the Guardian. It was another character called, I believe it was called Beckworth. Um, and then Beckwith, I'm sorry, Beckwith, I'm just looking in the book now. This uh, This person was a... Harlan's idea was that there'd be somebody on the Enterprise that was doing uh, illegal drugs. Now these, he sort of futurized it and made them sort of future-type drugs. But he was basically, you know, doing drugs on the Enterprise, which, of course, Gene Roddenberry and the other people that were working on Star Trek at the time, they had a little bit of a problem with that. Uh, you know, they, they basically said, hey, this is the future, these people are enlightened. There wouldn't be drug-running not really exactly, I couldn't call it drug running, but people using, you know, illegal narcotics on the Enterprise. So instead of uh, McCoy taking this overdose accidentally of a drug that basically, you know, whacks him out and makes him, you know, beam down to the planet and go through the Guardian, there's this character called uh, Beckwith that that does that basically is the same person. Now, I, while Harlan's script is, is, is very good and there are these changes and, and a lot, you know, quite a few other changes, and I'm going to talk talk about one other one specifically. I can I can fully understand why Gene Roddenberry and the other people working on the original Star Trek decided to make the changes that they did. I mean, some of them were budgetary reasons. Now there's a big conflict about how much budget Harlan's uh, take on and script was going to uh, cost them versus you know what they really did cut. But, you know, yes, some of what Harlan put in was was going to cost them more. Although Harlan Ellison, in, the, in his book, he'll, you'll read some of the original talk has been that he didn't want to rewrite his episode. Now, that's not true. Harlan wrote several drafts of the episode trying to sort of compromise and work with the, the network, the studio, the Gene Roddenberry, the other people working on the show. So he was trying to, to accommodate them. But Harlan also has a bit of a you know, he likes the script, he likes what he wrote, and I think there was only so far he'd go, and then at that point, others took over. So they changed who was doing what. Beckwith became McCoy, was one of the big changes. The other really big change, in my opinion, or not, maybe not exactly just an opinion, was the ending. Uh, there is a story, and Harlan re retells this in his book, that... William Shatner, when, when Harlan wrote the the draft, uh, one of the final drafts, I think, that he was working on, William Shatner rode out to Harlan Ellison's house out in the hills of California. Actually, at that time, William Shatner was, was heavily into riding motorcycles and was a bit of a daredevil. And, and actually, the, Harlan writes that William Shatner wiped his motorcycle out on, and along his, his driveway and came kind of limping up to his house to read Harlan's script, latest script. The uh, the interesting thing, there are two different versions of this, and Harlan writes one, and, and William Shatner, in, his, in one of his books called Star Trek Memories, writes a different version. So what happens in, in is, is difficult to say, but I tend to believe Harlan Ellison's story a little bit more. One, William Shatner has time and time again, and, and I respect William Shatner. I, I love the character of Captain Kirk, so don't get me wrong, but uh, he sometimes sort of, let's just say sugarcoats things or exaggerates or whatever the the two stories are first harlan ellison's story 
William Shatner goes, reads the script, you know, spends quite a bit of time at, at Harlan's house, doesn't say a lot, and, and he basically leaves, and he says he enjoyed the script, and he likes it, and he's looking forward to doing it. Now, the uh, other version in William Shatner's book is that there was a large argument between him and Harlan Ellison, and that Harlan would not change things. You know, William Shatner makes suggestions, Harlan and him argued, and, and William Shatner left. That's kind of the gist of it, you know. There's there's more detail, but uh, so quite a bit of different viewpoint there. But the this is all leading up to my my point about the other really big change in the storyline versus of Harlan versus what was filmed and and everyone's come to know is the episode City on the Edge of Forever. The ending uh, in Harlan's original ending, it is. Well, of course, it's with Beckwith, the other character, but we'll just call him Beckwith slash McCoy. It is the it is Mr. Spock. It is Spock that stops Beckwith McCoy from saving Edith Keeler. You know, Edith Keeler must die to to make history the way we know it, or the way the crew of the Enterprise has come to know it. the The big difference here again is in what was filmed. It is the character of Captain Kirk. Kirk, they get to that scene where the, the truck is, is barreling down the road and Edith's crossing the street, somehow oblivious to this truck coming at her. But uh, it is Kirk, Captain Kirk, the hero, that stops Dr. McCoy, uh, back with Dr. McCoy character, from saving Edith Keeler, not Spock. Now, I think both episodes, or sorry, both uh viewpoints, both stories, both, you know, those scripted areas work. But you can see that, you know, Kirk being the captain, the hero, saves the day. Now, the other viewpoint is Spock being the unemotional, logical one. It makes perfect sense in Harlan's version that Spock would be the one that would stop back with McCoy, that Spock would be the one to, to, to save that situation. Kirk was in love with Edith. Even even though he knew all these things were going to come to pass, he would still probably be thinking, well, we can save her, put her somewhere where she won't influence the past so much, do whatever. He may not have been thinking straight. So it kind of makes a lot more sense that Spock would be the one that would stop McCoy. Although I don't know if he would have had to grab Kirk too, or how that would have all actually played out. You know, but... You can also say that maybe if if Spock had not seen Kirk stopping McCoy, that he might have jumped in and and you know he said he says no Jim no Jim, I believe and it's you know it, it kind of jolts Kirk back to reality a little bit for a second there you know when you watch the episode it looks like Kirk's maybe going to go save her, but Spock yells at him and stops him so. It's kind of a meshing almost of the two ideas where, where, you know, Kirk uh, Spock is involved in in saving her. If he not, if he may not have said that, I hope I'm making sense now. Maybe, maybe Kirk wouldn't have stopped McCoy. But uh, anyway, that I I urge you if you're really interested in this episode to to go pick up Harlan's book. It gives you a lot of information. the The nice thing about the book also, the majority of the book is does have Harlan's original versions of the. Uh, of the storyline uh, in the book, which which are very good to read and very interesting that uh, that aren't really available anywhere else.
So take a look at that. I'll put a link up and uh, tell me what you think. Okay, so that's it for, uh, I think, what I wanted to say about uh, the... Uh, oh, there's just a couple last things I wanted to say about City on the Edge Forever. One is it, it won a Hugo Award, uh, which is a the, the science fiction equivalent of sort of an Oscar, uh, the episode, the televised episode. And Harlan Ellison also, here's the other unusual thing, he won a, a Writers Guild of America Award for his original script for the episode, not the one that was filmed and tel- televised, but he won an award actually for the original story. So, so in a way, everyone kind of worked out on that, the... Uh, the episode itself won an award, and Hugo and Harlan's script won an award. So, but they're you know one of one of the uh, sort of longtime controversial episodes of in Star Trek history, and I think it you know kind of a compliment out to Harlan. But the uh, the end result of this to me it seems is that even though they took his his original story, twisted, changed it modified it the essence is still there and you you can see you know sometimes when you hear about if you ever hear about a you know a tv or a movie that you know 20 different writers have changed things on they uh generally writing by committee turns into a you know a mess the 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 tv show the movie does not end up being very good but i think the the testament to what harlan wrote here where even when with a few other people working on rewriting it, Gene Roddenberry, uh, I believe DC Fontana worked a little bit on the rewrite, uh, uh, Herb Solo maybe a little bit, a couple of the other people working on the show at the time, not really that critical or important right now, but I think it's just, uh, it shows that this is a very solid story that even with other people changing some things, it still comes off as, as a great show. Okay, the other thing I'm going to discuss on uh, this podcast number one of the Trucks in Sci-Fi podcast is collectibles. I'm going to be talking about a particular collectible each episode. To give you some background, I've um, collected Star Trek and oh, other science fiction paraphernalia, collectibles, toys, uh, props, um, pictures, posters, postcards, um, keychains, whatever, Pez dispensers, lots of stuff over the years and enjoyed it quite a bit. The early years of Star Trek and the, uh, you know, before the mass merchandising, I, I believe when really the first Star Wars movie came along in 1977, that really was sort of a turning point in merchandising for these kinds of films and TV shows. Until then, occasionally with a really big blockbuster, you might find a little thing or that, you know, at, at a store, but not really like you do these days. I mean, every movie these days, it seems like there are just walls of toys and junk you can collect from it. Uh, and a lot of them end up sitting there because they they just over-merchandise over and overdo it. Even Star Wars, the which is uh, another great, uh, you know, series, and I'm a huge Star Wars fan as well as Star Trek and other science fiction, even that is really being way over mass merchandise these days. I mean, there there are just walls of Star Wars toys from the Revenge of the Sith movie just still sitting at Toys R Us in those places. But that's kind of all beyond what I want to get into right now, at least on this show. I may do a show along those lines in the future. But with all that, uh, 
I do collect quite a few things. In the last couple of years, uh, I've been focusing more on the sort of higher-end collectible replica props. Uh, the There is a, uh, a replica prop form that has just a huge wealth of information, people talking about props from movies, TV shows, a lot of people making their own that aren't available. Uh, and a lot of these things never used to be available. Uh, I remember, you know, growing up building, you know, little, my own little phasers and communicators on my own out of anything I could find, cardboard, you know, wood, uh, metal, little bits, you know, scrounging around my house. I had, I had no really money to spend on any of this stuff. I had, I had to use my imagination and find whatever I had laying around. You know, a, a piece of a pen could be, I could cut an end of a pen off, like a big pen, and make it the tip of a, of a phaser nozzle. All those kind of little things. I mean, I remember sitting down and just cutting small pieces of, of heavy-duty cardboard, poster board, and gluing and molding it into my own little phaser. So, but these days, you don't need to do that anymore. These days, you can go to the internet, go to a store, and find a, in some cases, you know, moderately priced, in some cases, very highly priced uh, collectible from TV and movies. And I have been, over the past few years, collecting quite a few. There are a few companies that do this quite a bit. One of them is a company called Master Replicas. I believe you could find them at uh, masterreplicas.com. They produce primarily Star Wars, but they've they've got quite a few Star Trek collectibles that they've put out. In other areas, they're doing some Disney things now. They have, um, let's see what other, they're doing some things from Pirates of the Caribbean, which is a Disney property. Uh, Aliens, Predator. Uh, Lord of the Rings, they did a, just a couple of pieces on that kind of did not take off for them. There's another company called United Cutlery that does quite a few uh, Lord of the Rings collectibles. Uh, excuse me, going to get a drink. Be right back. Yeah, so uh, there are quite a few companies. I, I will probably do part of a show uh, just about all the collectible places out there and, and try to get people um, the information and links to them. But those are a couple of the main ones. The uh, the collectible I'm going to talk about today is a Star Trek communicator from the original series, you know, with the the grid, uh, sort of gold-colored grid that Kirk would always flip open and say, you know, Scotty, beam me up. That noise that you just heard, I don't know how well it came through, but I will do it one more time. This is from the communicator that I'm holding in my hand. That is the sound that it makes when you open the grid. You flip the grid open and it does that. I will try to put a few pictures of this this piece up on my uh, website while well, I will do that uh, in the show notes area. And we'll give you a little bit of uh, history. The, um, the, the phaser, the communicator, and the tricorder um, were all designed for the original series uh, by an oriental gentleman. I believe his name was... I'll have to look that up. <laughs> Excuse me for a second, and uh, I will put that in the show notes. But he was an Oriental man that that worked on all these props. So, um, just getting into this particular collectible that I wanted to talk about. The this is done for the Hilton in Las Vegas. Uh, it's at the you can find the the site for them at www.startrekx exp.com again I'll put that in the notes for the show but it's a uh, it's a really good 
good item. It's a really nice piece. This um, Master Replicas, the company I talked about earlier, put out a Star Trek communicator about well, almost going on two years ago, I believe now. Fairly expensive, but but very well done. Uh, awesome looking piece. If anyone's um, not familiar with the you know the communicator, it has uh, you know the gold grid. It flips open a black shell. It has little lights inside, and there's something called a moire. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. M O I R E on the inside that spins, and this gives you sort of a weird sort of almost psychedelic. I'd call it effect. Uh, you know, again, remember this show, the original Star Trek during the 1960s. Uh, you could see why they put these kinds of things in the props. And there really, I believe, is maybe only one episode that that's shown on the communicator. There was a larger moire that uh, was over Spock Station on the bridge. Uh, very similar effect. It's two basically spinning sort of circles going in sort of different directions with a motorized mechanism that uh, creates a this, this effect. And they have that in the center of the communicator, and I'll put a picture of that on the website. But this is a is a good piece that the Star Trek experience put out. It, it has a very good feel to it, good weight, and it has nice electronics inside. The little lights will light up. The moir spins. There is a little button for pushing and making the red button in, or the red light in the center go off. There's also uh, that that little interference effect is also um, a button you can push, I believe, in a couple of episodes. One was this side of Paradise in the original Star Trek series that Kirk's working on his communicator, and he, he makes that static, or that, that static will show up. I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, but the uh, the moir itself that spins has a small motorized uh, sound to it. That's it right there, if you can hear that at all. Um, it's it's a little bit louder than the Master Replicas piece, so that's one thing. Uh, the um, Master Replicas also has a spinning moir in the middle of it, but it doesn't quite have that large sound to it when it spins. There's also a uh, the Delta Shield uh, type, that little A-type symbol that the Kirk and crew wear in their front uniforms. There's a symbol cut out in the back of the communicator that when you push it, you get the... Uh, that was the sound that the communicators would make when it meant, you know, somebody's calling them. It's kind of like their, uh, their cell phone ring. Just like that. Um... Again, overall, the the quality of this piece is really great. I think it's about a $50 item. They have four screws on the back to get to the battery area. I believe it took three or two. I'll have to look at the box here for a second. Uh, yeah, it takes two AAA batteries, and it comes in a nice little package. Although mine, when I got it uh, in the mail, it was sort of flopping around the communicator inside the package itself, but I'll put a picture of that also on the website. I would suggest, you know, since the Master Replica item from a couple of years ago is, is quite expensive and very difficult to find, I think you can find them on eBay now, but uh, I suggest anyone who, who loves or enjoys the original show, the original Enterprise, uh, sorry, original Star Trek series, 
uh, and would like a, an item like this to gobble one up from the, uh, the Star Trek experience. This is very close to the Master Replicas, at least in appearance, and has all the functionality pretty much, but at a much lower price, and you can get a hold of one these currently. So, again, very nice. I, I highly recommend this item if you're a Star Trek fan and you like you know, to collect these types of things to take a look for it. I'm not sure if they're going to be readily available in the, you know in stores uh, or not. Uh, Sharper Image is one store that's you know carried these types of items in the past, but I don't uh, don't know. That's it seems to be just a Star Trek experience item. But I will link this up to the show. Well, that's uh, I think that's mainly what I wanted to cover for this week's uh, Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. I am going to uh, try to put out one of these shows each week. Initially, though, that may be every two weeks or so. I'm still kind of fighting with my audio equipment. I use a PC, not an Apple. And I'm just currently using a headset mic type setup to record these shows in, and I want to get something better. I want to get a better microphone, a mixer, that kind of stuff. And I'm, So I'm uh, still working on improving the audio. Hopefully you'll hang in there with me. I, I, I do want to keep these going and uh, just talk about sci-fi, what I'm liking, what I'm not liking. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit of an easy sell and a little bit weak when it comes to science fiction in general, though I, I, I do enjoy most of it. Although the the movies on most uh, Saturday night sci-fi channel movies at 9 o'clock, I, don't, uh, I do have my limits. <laughs> I don't uh, like most of those. I've watched a few, and there's only so many giant man-fly bug things that you can see and not start laughing a little bit. But they're, you know, they're fun to watch just for a laugh if that's what you want. Again, my name is Rick Dosti. This has been podcast uh, show number one of the Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. You can email me at treksf at gmail.com. The website again for this show is www.treksf.com. Please, please, um, if you enjoyed this, if there are things that I should do, or would you like me here just certain episodes of Star Trek to discuss or collectibles that might be out there that you're wondering if I've gotten one, which I probably have, uh, and want me to sort of review and talk about, I'd be happy to do that. This podcast, again, was a little bit rough being all my second attempt, the first real podcast I'm calling it, but I hope uh, to do better and continue to do these shows. And I'm going to try to occasionally get other people involved, maybe via Skype and sort of talk to them about maybe whatever's happening in the world of sci-fi at the time to get it a little more um, interactive and that. So if you'd ever like to be involved in any of that, please send me an email. So I'm going to leave you with a little bit of uh, music, more from uh, Star Trek, and I will be talking to you again hopefully in a week, maybe two. Bye-bye.